0: sound makes me want to pull my hair out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like just any other day at work for me. Some might think that I am in the business of torturing kiddos. Okay, I know
0: that's not true. I have seen you with your patients, and you only torture the obnoxious ones.
1: (laughs) My goal is certainly not to torture anyone, but I do recognize being hurt or sick enough to be in the emergency department can be a stressful or scary time. And at times, some of the things we do to make kiddos feel better is painful.
2: This is Ian Paul's with you, House Sarah, Dallas, and Mommy. Episode 12. Toddlers will sell their souls for stickers.
0: Basically, our last 11 episodes of E-Impulse have been very weighty topics. We thought we'd take a nice space break and play around and have some fun. And we're really lucky because Julia, my co-host, is a pediatric emergency physician. So you're going to be hearing a lot from her today as our resident expert.
1: Yeah, this episode is about what it feels like to be a child in the emergency department and how we as providers can make them feel more comfortable. To do that,
0: I want you to go back in time Imagine yourself as a four-year-old. Imagine you were running at your grandparents' house and cracked your head open and you're on your way to the ED to repair that crack. What would you be thinking or feeling? And when you got there, what would you see or hear or smell? Okay, it may have been too long for some of us to remember what it was like to be a four-year-old. So we interviewed a few kids who have
1: experienced the ED to see what they remembered. Why did you go to the emergency department?
3: Because I was running around my grandma's house, and then at a step, I fell, and then I, I hit my head on a big chair that my grandma has.
1: And what happened after that?
3: I kind of, like, screamed, and it felt painful, and like that.
1: And what did your grandparents do after that?
3: They tried to help me feel better and look at it. But um, after a few minutes, they decided to take me to the hospital. Um, when I got a hurt finger by shredding
2: cheese and I hurt my finger and I cut off some of my skin and, and I got bleeding. It was for my breathing. Um,
4: I felt like I couldn't breathe so good. Uh, when I walked in, I'm like, I'm good, let's go.
0: And what's it like to be a patient in the ED? Uh,
4: I would rather not be there. There was a person who, like, I was on, like, a wheelchair because I'm so old. And they were, like, pushing me over to the room and I felt like it was amazing because, like, (laughs) it's so
2: big. And, like, there's tons of turns. Well, I remember seeing a doctor taking care of some of a, of a, of a... Mommy, like you, Mommy, um, like, um, he, she had two children,
3: and she was having a baby. I was nervous because in my mind, because I knew there was going to have to be a shot or two.
1: And what did you think was going to happen with those shots?
3: They would help me feel better, but... Even though I don't really like shots at all, I remember I was just in a like a room and I had a button by my bed, and I had this like thing that you could pull over my bed, and I could like, or it swung to the side, but you could pull it over, and I I used that for
4: coloring. We got there in two, and like we left at like 11, 12. And then, like tons of times, they were saying, "Wait one hour. Wait one hour. Wait one hour." Ah, I was bored. Like switching turns with my mom and dad, and in the bed, I was really tempted. I was really thirsty, and I and my dad like bought some food. I'm like, but they were putting water
2: into my body. I was feeling scared. I shot it. I thought they would give me a shot.
3: I was nervous, but also my head
1: was hurting a lot. What did you see when you went into the emergency department?
3: I saw people that that were hurt in the waiting room, the adults waiting room. And I saw two police officers at the front desk. And I saw nurses and doctors. Well,
2: well, I saw lots of people walking past me. I saw rooms that doctors were helping um, get people get better.
1: Do you remember, what did you hear, Issa, when you were in the emergency department?
3: I heard a baby crying, and I heard, um... Doctors and nurses talking.
1: What did you think when you heard the baby crying?
3: Um, it made me a little nervous because I knew I know there was gonna be shots, and I know why the, that baby was crying because there was a shot.
1: And what did you smell, Isa?
3: I smelled um like chloroxine, I think. Clorox. Lorax, um, kind of mixed in with um, soap water. That's
1: good. So it smelled clean.
3: Yeah. It smelled like, um,
2: it smelled like, it smelled like autopops, Pops, because
0: I smelled the autopops. Pops. <laughs> and we asked them what it was like to get certain tests or treatments, like skin glue. Well,
2: I remember saying, um, they're going to put the hot glue on. And it hurt when they put the hot glue on it.
1: And what did you think when they said that?
2: Um, they made me feel, felt scared.
1: Or a CT scan.
2: I was freaking so
4: much out. I was so scared. There was, I think, these things, and I thought it was going to shut, and then it was going to go in circles so fast. I was like... Oh shoot! I want to head home.
0: Or an ultrasound.
4: And then, like I remember, they were—they was like this thing. It looked like this things, like what sometimes the thing what makes your their armpits smell good. It looks like that.
0: Like a deodorant.
4: Yeah, it looks- deodorant. It looks like that. I think they put it on my tummy. Like
3: tons of the different ones.
0: Or a procedural sedation.
3: They gave me medicine to make me. F- Fall asleep, and then they, I think they took a shot and put some medicine in me. And then when I woke up, I felt really good, but also really dizzy. And I felt so dizzy I could barely even walk. When I woke up, my bleeding on my forehead was, um, there wasn't any more blood. And they um put like little strips on my head um where um it was cut or an IV uh
4: it felt like a needle was going through your body when the water was heading through um it felt like it felt sort of weird it sort of felt like I was being blown up.
0: And then we asked them what would help kids feel not so scared in the ED.
3: Um, what made me feel better is I I knew my mom and dad would be there, and my grandma and I and I knew that my grandma would be there, and um, I knew my family was going to be there. Well.
2: Um, by giving them a hug, or giving them a stuffy or a, or a treat.
4: When it was ammonia, I remember
2: she had, like, a
4: watch and it showed, like, all of the characters in... what was it, Mommy? There's, like, that... that dog was sort of like a slinky. Oh, like a, a Toy story. story. Yeah, Toy Story. I would want there to be the Xbox on the side, the mo the Nintendo Switch on the side the Nintendo
2: DPS on the side but the most exciting part i had a Otter Pop a green Otter Pop
1: why did you get an Otter Pop
2: well because they thought that would help my finger feel
1: better did it help your finger feel better yes did anything else help your finger feel better
3: well um well when they put the bandaid on it Well, the nurse there brought me um, an iPad. I play games on it. Um, They gave me a stuffy. I still sleep with that stuffy every night. The nurses should um, give the kids water and food to help them feel better.
1: You know, Sarah, it's interesting because none of these kiddos were interviewed in the emergency department. What they told us, what they spoke about is what's imprinted on their memory. And I can personally tell you some of it is not accurate because R.E.D. does not smell like otter pops. But that small act of a special treat for a wounded child was imprinted on Jordan's mind and his memory, and it modified how he remembered the emergency department.
0: Clearly, getting a shot or the hot skin glue were some of the things that children were most concerned about, even though it's such a small fraction of their time in the ED. The strongest part of their memories seemed to be around pain or the anticipation of pain.
1: And that's fair, because we have our share of painful procedures that actually make shots pale in comparison. We couldn't interview any infants today, (laughs) but even infants can be traumatized by our painful procedures. It's crazy, but children who had experienced moderate levels of pain as infants may also have long-term physiological, psychological, and behavioral consequences, including increased sensitivity to pain, increased avoidance behavior, social hypervigilance, and higher level of anxieties before a painful procedure. In addition, when a caregiver's distressed at the painful procedure, that may also lead to vaccine non-adherence and avoiding seeking medical care in the future. We know from both the literature and personal experience that effective analgesia actually improves procedure success rates.
0: I feel like anxiety goes hand-in-hand with pain in everyone, but especially in kids.
1: It makes it hard for me to know how much is pain and how much is anxiety. Yes, sir. I think that's something that we all struggle with. And if the parent or I think that it's predominantly anxiety, then sometimes I'll start with distraction. But the reality is Children don't have the same reference for pain um, that we do as adults who've had experiences with pain in the past. And so we have to use a different pain scale or a different way to like objectively know how much pain a child is in. For those infants, I like to use the FLAC scale, which looks at the child's face, looks at their legs, their activity, crying and consolability. And that's hand in hand with the parent, right? For that four to eight year old group We use things like the facey scale, which we have posted on all of the walls, and the kids can point to what their face feels like or how they feel like inside. And then as they get older, you go back to the numeric scale or you ask the patient once they become verbal how they're feeling and what they look like. For those kids who can't communicate, man, that's a lot harder. And I like to have a card with me that uses a checklist or the child can point to different things that they're feeling or ask the parent. Yeah, and we'll have links to all of these in our show notes. Clearly, this is a pretty complex
0: issue in terms of determining when kids are in pain or how much is anxiety and how to relieve that pain and anxiety. So we asked some of our PEDS colleagues to find out their favorite tricks. Let's start off with our child life experts.
5: I can't really pinpoint one distraction thing because to me it depends on the age of the kiddo. So for babies and toddlers, it's usually something that lights up like our light spinners because the bright lights, the motion really gets their attention. For preschoolers and school-age kids, I try to engage them in kind of silly chit-chat. I try to find out what's their favorite TV show or Disney character and kind of go from there and jump off and make jokes about it or Whatnot. And then with school age kids, I really like I spy books or I spy cards, because it immediately focuses their attention, it forces them to pay attention to something besides what's happening around them. Um, and it engages that school age tendency to want to be productive and like show off how smart they are and how talented they can be. And for teenagers, honestly, it's sarcasm. (laughs) yeah and acknowledging like you know hey it's really no fun to be here and oh my gosh you're stuck in a kid's hospital and you have to look at little kids stuff and and building rapport with them that way
6: Uh, one of my favorite things for working with infants is using something like a crib soother so that could be lullaby music or ocean sounds just anything to promote that comfort environment
1: what about a toddler what's your favorite technique for a toddler
6: Toddlers, definitely bubbles, um, or you can do a light spinner or rain stick.
1: Yeah, those are awesome. I love bubbles during a trauma. (laughs) What about for an elementary age kid? Do you
6: have a favorite technique for them? Mesh stress balls are one of the awesome ones for those kiddos. Also, look and find books are really good. Um, A lot of different things you can direct their attention towards.
1: I use with those with my kids all the time. (laughs) What if I have teenagers? I feel like those are some of the more challenging. You know, they're not quite an adult. They're not quite a kid. How do you make a teenager feel more comfortable in your emergency department?
6: Oftentimes, I find fidget items are the most helpful for them, whether that's something like a stress ball or things of just different textures, anything to keep their hands busy, a fidget cube,
5: anything like that.
6: Now let's hear from some pediatric nurses. As nurses, we love to call child life, but they are not always available to us. Um, Even just things as simple as bubbles, um, jiggling your keys around, looking in their ears, saying, oh my gosh, I think there's animals in your ears. Or like Julia was saying, making the exam as interactive as possible with, um, getting down on their level and really just kind of making it silly, making them laugh. Toddlers will absolutely sell their soul for stickers. (laughs) So those are always great things to have in your pocket because they will do anything you need to do to bargain with them for stickers. Um, we try to just basically break things down into their terms that are not scary. Like, hi, I'm you know, I'm friend's with your doctor or I'm friends with your nurse. I'm just gonna come look at you. We're just looking, there's no owies. Um, we like to explain IV starts in terms of, this is a really big water gun. It's a really big straw. This is what it looks like. We like to kind of put an empty catheter on a flush and kind of let them squirt us. Like, oh, it's a water gun. It's not scary. It's not gonna hurt you. Things like that.
1: Haiti, hey, what do you tell kids when you're placing an IV? What are you, What are your <coughs> tricks for, like what do you tell them that you're doing? that we're just putting a
7: straw in her vein. And just like Jackie said, we show them that there's no needle. It's just a straw. It really helps a lot. Like we'll make them touch it. I tried to do the wildlife child life thing, but I failed. Yeah. <laughs> um, with babies, I do like funny faces and make some noise. Like, and they would like stop crying and they will look and try to imitate what you're doing. So it kind of like distracts them a little bit. So, but for teenagers, it's always electronics, like the iPad. <laughs> Give it to them and they'll be okay.
0: And how about some pediatric emergency physicians? What are their tricks? All right, I have, I have three that I want to tell you about.
7: One is what everybody's talking about, which is bubbles. Um, I think bubbles are they're powerful and magical in so many ways. If you just need r- literally five seconds of quiet breathing, that is the trick. T- that's the go-to trick or five seconds of just a a quiet uh, exam for the abdomen, that is the go-to trick. So you blow some bubbles where the kid is looking away from you, you sneak in behind them, press on their belly, listen to their lungs, and you have the exam. The second tip I have is the sticker trick. So we have a drawer full of stickers that's uh, very near the ground. So often when kids are or parents are saying, my child's so weak, or they're limping, or they can't walk, my next move is to say, let's go get stickers. And then invariably the kid will jump off the bed and <laughs> squat down to pick up a sticker. Um, and it's also just a really good way to evaluate someone's um, ambulation and really evaluate a walk if they really do, uh, evaluate a limp if they really do have a limp. Um, so that's a good trick. My other trick is to allay their fear. So oft, invariably I'm putting on gloves to examine them and their eyes are getting really wide. Um, and so I typically will say, well, do you want to wear gloves too? And they'll almost always say yes. And I'll give them one. I'll be like, and now you're just like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know who he is, but they want to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my three best tricks. Those are awesome.
6: So for kids who come in in significant pain, like with an acute fracture or something like that, I really like to use intranasal fentanyl when they first get to the emergency department. It serves two purposes. It helps them to kind of treat that immediate pain that they're having, but it also works as a little bit of an anti-anxiety medication. And so I think it makes it a little bit easier for the next steps. Frequently, that involves getting an IV and then we can give them other pain medications, but it kind of takes the edge off the pain. And then it also takes the edge off the process of getting the IV, which I think is sort of a bonus.
1: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love it, too.
7: Yeah, you know, I have a standard sort of portfolio of funny opening lines that I like to use when I see kids in the emergency department. And I'll give you an example of one. And this is typically for the school-age child. I'll go in and introduce myself and say, Hi, I'm Dr. Cooperman. And I put my hand out and shake their hand, and they start shaking my hand. And then I grip their hand really tight and it looks like they're holding onto my hand really tight and they won't let go. And I say, hey, let go, let go of my hand, please. You are hurting me, let go of my hand. And the kids usually looking at me with a funny look and then they break down in laughter. But that's kind of one of my opening lines for the school age
1: child. That's awesome, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So my
7: tip for um, when you're doing a pelvic in kids, um, so pelvic exam for teenage girls, um what i usually do is give them uh, a lube a surgery lube a
1: packet of surgery lube to hold in their hands while i do the speculum exam Um, and i tell them that that way they keep it warm and so when i need to do the pelvic part of the exam um, i take it from them and it's nice and warm and so it's distracting, it gives them something to hold on to, and um, and they also feel like they're sort of a partner in, in their own self-care.
0: These are all some really great tips. I especially liked the stress balls in older kids. I hadn't thought about that. Um, and sarcasm, I mean, I think I probably do that anyway. <laughs> I, I just hadn't do. thought about it
1: deliberately. <laughs> Yeah, I would add a few other tips. For infants, I am a big fan of sucrose strips or sweeties, as you may know them, where you place the sugar water on the uh, infant's pacifier and you do that with any stressful or painful procedure. Or if it's okay to nurse the baby, let the mom nurse the baby. This has actually been fairly well studied as these things go. And it is a pretty cheap and easy way to reduce baby pain, that's for sure.
0: So I wonder if this would work in adults. Like, I wonder if my patients would need less Dilaudid if I let them suck on a Snickers bar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe not. We studied it in older kids, and it didn't work quite as successfully. So, you know, I mean, you could try.
0: Okay, so what do you think about topical
1: analgesics for venipuncture? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, do I really need to poke this kid? Do I need to place an IV? Can this child take these fluids by mouth, or do the antibiotics really need to be injected? What am I going to do with those lab tests? Does it really change what I'm doing? If the answer is yes, then I may consider doing EMLA, or I may consider doing some other topical analgesia if I have time. I use it when I'm accessing a port or if I have a good heads up that I'm going to need to place an IV or if I'm not sure if I'm going to place an IV, but I like have the time to make that decision, then I'll try to place EMLA. It takes a minute. It's 30 to 60 minutes before it actually starts working. So it definitely takes a while and the nurses have to know where they're going to go. Otherwise you've lost your shot, right? Then you have to wait another hour for it to work. But there's this really cool thing that we used where I did fellowship and where I worked for a while where you can use what's called a J-tip. These do not require any needles, and it's a little cartridge that injects topical lidocaine in a CO2 cartridge directly onto the skin where the nurse is going to place an IV. And we have some studies that show it doesn't interfere with the nurse's ability to place that IV, and it is instantaneous. I mean, it is just freaking wild, Sarah. To watch a nurse place an IV in a young child and them not even be aware that the needle is going in, and they can try over and over again. Another cool thing about J-Tip is you can actually use it for lumbar punctures as well.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I actually have not seen those. Sounds really cool, <laughs> but I do love using Let like the lidocaine, epinephrine, tetracaine on my lacerations, and I feel like kids need a lot less sedation when I use the Let.
1: Yeah, me too, Sarah. I feel the key with Let is to use a lot and to do it early. When the area is blanched around the lack, that's when you know that it's really working. I can even repair procedures without injecting Lido into the wound when Let is really doing its job. I know there's even some hospitals that have a protocol that put the Let in a medicine cup in the room with the patient. The parent keeps applying the Let and really numbs the stink out of that area. It's absolutely brilliant. And then when you're doing your procedure, set yourself up for success. Explain to both the child and the parent what to expect. And sometimes I give a little magic juice of intranasal fentanyl as well for those painful procedures.
0: Yeah, I sometimes wish I could give some intranasal Versed to the parents.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. It's definitely stressful being a parent watching your kiddo go through a scary or painful procedure. And we know that kids read off of their parents' reactions, right? I like to give the parent and the child something to do during the procedure. Like, I have little pocket search and find cards or games on my phone that engage the child and the parent together. And then other things that I do is I like to prepare for the procedure by drawing up meds outside of the line of the vision of that child And I keep my needle out of the line of vision, if at all possible, while giving them the meds. And I do give them the heads up as to what they're going to feel.
0: Do you buffer with sodium bicarb? I've heard this is a trick, but
1: I get looked at pretty crazy when I ask for it sometimes. Oh, man, that sucks that you do. Um, Yeah, I totally do. I use sodium bicarb all the time. You drop 1 ml of sodium bicarb to mix with uh, 9 mLs of your 1% lidocaine. Other things that I use is I use the smallest needle possible. Like, I actually go to the insulin needles and pull up medicine that way. I use the smallest syringe possible, and I keep the lidocaine at body temperature. Another thing you can do is inject through the broken skin or through the area that's already been numbed up when you're injecting lidocaine. And we know being numb is really super important for our laceration repairs. There's also the option of not using sutures. Yeah, you're totally right. The thing is, just like my IV placement, I always try to ask myself, do I really have to close this wound with sutures? There are some wounds that are okay left open in healing, and if the family is okay with the potential for scars, then just leaving it open is an option, especially under the chin or in areas where kids aren't going to be affected by the scars themselves. But if I have to close it, I always ask myself, can I use tissue adhesives such as Dermabond or Glue Stitch? which we have some pretty good studies showing that there's similar cosmetic outcomes to sutures, but patients, parents, and providers, Sarah, all report less pain with these tissue adhesives, which is pretty cool. Now, that's not to say tissue adhesives are completely pain-free. They still can be painful, and so I do put let on first, and I definitely give them the heads up that it's going to burn.
0: Yeah, I totally remember this with your son, Jordan. (laughs) You remember how we put the Dermabond on and he said, hey, mommy, they forgot and used hot glue (laughs) instead.
1: I do. He still calls it hot glue.
0: So sometimes good numbing works, but sometimes it's just not enough. When do you decide to use procedural sedation?
1: Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Sedation is wonderful, and there are definitely times, like with my son Isa, when he had his large laceration, that he wasn't going to sit still long enough for that procedure, or it was too painful. I needed him to absolutely be still while they were repairing that lac near his eyeball, right? So there are times when I use sedation, but then there's big side effects with that. And there's more pain that's associated with the administration of those meds or even putting the IV in. So I try to avoid it whenever possible, especially at nighttime. I like to use nitrous for those short, slightly painful procedures that as soon as the meds wear off, I want them to pop up and walk out. Um, But I recognize not all facilities have nitrous. Another great option that I think all facilities should have if I had my way (laughs) would be intranasal medication. Intranasal is a fast, effective way to deliver pain medications like fentanyl without the side effects.
0: Wait, okay, hold on. <laughs> because I give fentanyl all the time, you know, IV or IM in the adult world. But what do you mean it doesn't have the side effects?
1: Well, I shouldn't say there's absolutely no side effects, right? Because you can feel it going inside of your nose, and that can be disturbing to the child. Um, and, you know, anybody can have an allergic reaction. But we do not see the same uh, incidence of dizziness, nausea, vomiting. Um, and there's no hypoxia, and there's no chest wall rigidity associated with intranasal fentanyl. So it's really awesome. And it works really fast. It works faster than PO medications. I use it for short painful procedures like the laceration repair or as a bridge to other painful procedures like placing an IV in a both bone forearm fracture or somebody that comes in with a sickle cell crisis. I think that it's absolutely revolutionized the way that I do procedures. Yeah, that's super
0: interesting. We really rarely use intranasal medications in adults. Maybe you should try it along with the Snickers next time. (laughs) (laughs) We know that treating pain and addressing anxiety in the child and in the parent are key, but are there non-pharmacological ways that we
1: can do these things? Yeah, sure there are. I mean, we heard from several of our colleagues some examples that they use. For me, first and foremost is keeping the families together. Studies have shown that parental presence may decrease pain and distress, and we know that it does not impede procedural success. Clearly for Isa, when he's describing what decreased his pain and anxiety, it was knowing that his family was going to be with him that made the biggest difference. And interestingly, C-Suite has stake in the game in this as well, because both the Institute of Medicine and the Joint Commission have made patient and family-centered care a priority, and that is a part of it. That's not to say that this works for every single patient, and there might be a conversation that you need to have with the family and or the child to find out what they prefer. You certainly don't want the parent making it worse or the parent becoming your next patient, right?
0: Yeah, one other thing I try sometimes is just kind of lowering the lights, kind of creating a calm atmosphere.
1: Yeah, if that's possible in the emergency (laughs) department, right? But it's actually very true, and I think that's very smart of you, Sarah. You remember hearing from both Isa and Jordan that they remembered seeing and hearing other people in pain. And that increased their anxiety, that anticipation that something painful was going to happen to them, even if in reality that other person, that other baby that was crying, was just crying because it's the third Tuesday of the month, right? Not because there's an actual painful procedure going on. It's that anticipation of pain. So that brings us to
0: distraction, which is also very important.
1: Yeah. And I mentioned before, I use pocket cards. I really enjoy having an activity that engages both of the parents. Some of our colleagues mentioned some other distraction techniques and some other ones that won't break the budget. Uh, Well, except Issa mentioned the iPad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he just uses that term for all tablets. We actually have fires that cost less than $100 on Amazon. You don't have to have a tablet at all. They're just kind of fun to have around. But almost every parent has with them a phone, right? And they usually know a few key games that kiddos enjoy, or definitely know some YouTube videos that kids can watch. Another thing that providers can do is print out free coloring pages on your own printer and have dollar store crayons available that they can take home and don't have to be washed between kiddos, you know, spread that MRSA around. (laughs) Also, people mentioned bubbles, and that clearly falls into that category. We have bubbles everywhere in the ED, and they are truly magical at distracting your kiddos. Shockingly, I have never had a slippery floor from our nurse's copious bubble use. (laughs) Slippery floor from other body fluids, but maybe not the bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's always a risk in the PZD for sure. Another way, and you mentioned this kind of before with the quiet sound and creating a relaxing environment, but I use my phone to distract with music. I almost always play either that child's favorite music, although unless it's inappropriate, I swear, Sarah, some kids will ask for Drake. (laughs) But I'll either listen to their favorite music or I will have uh, Sleep Sounds, um, a playlist on Sleep Sounds that I play while doing a procedure or even while they're being sedated. Um, It kind of brings the temperature of the room down. I think it helps the patient. I think it helps the parent. Um, and sometimes it helps the surgeons that are doing the procedure as well. <laughs> yeah, having something to distract seems to be key
0: during procedures and during the waiting process. I mean, Benny mentioned how long it took. People kept saying, one more hour, one more hour. And I had to laugh because that is so true. Oh, my
1: goodness. It totally is.
0: But I noticed that Haiti mentioned explaining the IV does not have a needle in it and engaging the patient in that conversation. That's a cheap, easy way to distract the kids.
1: Yes, And it gives you an excuse to catch up on the latest Pixar movies that are out there. (laughs) Personally, I highly recommend Coco if you haven't watched it. My
0: boy's favorite right now is um, Incredibles 2. Oh, yeah, that was really good.
1: So, even if you don't keep up on the latest kids' movie, the point is engaging the patient of all ages. And we can offer them choices sometimes. Like when it's appropriate, I'll say, Do you want me to start with the left ear or the right ear? Or give them a special role or job when performing a medical procedure, like hold the yank hour, or guess how many stitches you're going to need, or when I ask for this, hand me this. And it really gives them something to do. Yeah, I
0: find that telling kids what they should expect during their treatment or encouraging them to ask questions is helpful. And like you said, empowering them to make some choices.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. We just have to be careful of the language that we use with them. We don't want to create false expectations, such as telling them this will hurt or this won't hurt, right? One strategy is to give them options like some children say it feels warm or some children say that it feels cold, things like that.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I definitely hadn't thought of that.
1: Yeah, the last thing I wanted to mention is something that Issa and Benny both said. Kids need to eat and drink more frequently, and sometimes their hunger or thirst can manifest as anxiety or anger. I find that in residents too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe myself, too. I don't know. I think take the time to feed them or let them drink if they can eat. If there's any possibility that they can eat or drink, let them do that. If there's nothing surgical going on, having apple juice is key. (laughs) Or those Otter Pops if you're fancy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or if there is something that's surgical, give them IV fluids. So what
0: about if you think you're going to
1: need to do a procedure?
0: Do we still need to keep kids
1: NPO? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I would refer people to ASEP's sedation policy because they've done a really good job at synthesizing the literature. And there's really no great evidence behind making people NPO for emergent or urgent procedures. So I personally, unless they literally just finished a Big Mac and pizza, and again, there's no evidence for that, but (laughs) unless they just finished a Big Mac, I don't let NPO stop me from doing my procedures.
0: pulse check. Okay, we've discussed a lot of tips today, but I hear several key things. One, we need to understand even our young patients experience pain. So let's use appropriate scales to rate the pain and treat it quickly. Two, ask yourself, do I really need to do this procedure? And when you do, engage the patient, don't blindside them. Three, take time to treat the pain to improve your procedural success. Four, we can use distraction at low or no cost with parent phones, music, games, conversation, coloring pages, and don't forget those bubbles and, of course, stickers. Five, intranasal meds are awesome. If you aren't using them yet, check them out. It doesn't take much to become proficient at even the smallest ED or urgent care. Check out the resources in our show notes for a great website with more info and protocols. And finally, six, we are not just treating our little patients. Keep our families together if at all possible. Give parents something to do and set the stage for both patient and parent success. Now that you've heard the perspective of these children and providers, on your next shift, look around your own ED. What do you see, hear, smell? What little things can you do to make the next child you treat more comfortable?
1: Oh, man, Sarah and Orlando had to shut me down. I have a lot of opinions on this topic. So let's continue the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at EMPulse Podcast. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. We're on
0: iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And please rate us. It helps others find our podcast.
1: Sorry, I literally just flew in from the Hot Topics 2018 in Maui, and let me tell you, it was spectacular. We had a really great group of acute care providers just riding the waves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, learning a lot of good stuff. Right. <laughs> in all seriousness, I think we did have a lot of fun together, and we learned a lot together. We have another conference that's coming up in Tahoe at the Ritz Carlton on March 4th through eight, And Sarah, we're both gonna be at that one, right? That's right. So
0: thank you as always to our department. You do such a great job of creating a space to treat our own kids and the kids in our community.
1: And to OM Audio Projections, I trust you with my kids. And
0: thank you to all of our listeners. See you next time. Perfect, okay. All right, should be good.
1: Booyah.